Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan. And with us today, we're having a conversation with Sima Toledano, who is a theater artist, filmmaker, Hebrew priestess, healer, and social justice, social justice activist, currently living on Lenape Lenape Ancestral Land, otherwise known as Philadelphia. Welcome, Sima. Hi, it's so great to be here. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. And um, why don't we start the conversation off a little bit about lineages? Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, indigenous lineage as being respectful of, and I think it's really great in past episodes we've brought up kind of indigenous, uh, our kind of debt to indigenous uh, peoples and their land and their presence in our mm-hmm. lives. Um, but tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit about your own lineage and how that's kind of informs your your life and work yeah Mm, yeah yeah well thank you so much for bringing that up and i i do want to offer my acknowledgement to the lenny lenape ancestors of the land on which i dwell and also occupy as part of the settler colonialist structures that we are living within and around uh, and also offer gratitude to my ancestors for bringing me to this moment and to our conversation. Uh, and I and I hope to be of service in some way uh, in our in our conversation and in my presence here. Uh, yeah. So the the first line of the bio that I sent you was uh, describing the matrilineal, matrilineal lineage that I come from. My name is Simcha Tamar. Uh, Simcha was my grandmother's name on my father's side. Mm. It means joy or a joyful occasion. Uh, And Tamar means palm tree. Uh, And my mother's name is Esther. And her mother's name was Ahuvaliba. And her mother's name was Taibe. And her mother's name is unknown to me. Uh, and, And back before time immemorial, I, I do not know the names of the women who I come from. Uh, so I feel it's really important personally for me to know where I come from and the bloodlines that inform how I walk in the world and also what my traumas are in a lot of ways. What because we inherit a lot. We inherit our heritage. We inherit traditions. We inherit um, quirks. We in, we inherit our traumas in a lot of ways. And my personal story is informed so much from my great-grandmother's story being a widow in Sfat in Palestine at the turn of the century when it was still under the Ottoman rule. And... Her story is really fascinating and impactful in my life. She was a widow with a two-year-old daughter, um, struggling in poverty with hunger, disease, imperialism, and all of these traumas and abuses to her body and her mind. And yet in my memory and in the ways that I feel her, she continues to be a mystical woman. Taiba means dove, by the way, in in Yiddish. And um, I just I feel her to be a very mystical woman, and uh, whose whose struggle was very real to survive. And she met a man when my grandmother was two years old, 
she met a man who said that he would marry her, but he would not raise the daughter. He wouldn't raise my grandmother. So my great-grandmother was put in a position that so many women are put in to decide between keeping the family together or security and or some mishmash of the two you know and my grandmother under uh, my great-grandmother under great duress i would imagine chose to give my grandmother to an orphanage in jerusalem and married this man and had a family with him uh and then came back into my grandmother's life when she was 12 years old and the, the story unfolds even greater but i i i um I feel it's important to really presence their stories and to know where I come from so that I know where I'm going. It's a, my father, he was Moroccan born and he raised me to be very, very rooted in my bloodlines and in my lineages. And I didn't understand it as a kid. If felt actually kind of oppressive that lesson felt like I don't understand what like this is so much pressure <laughs> but uh, as a grown-up I, I really feel and embody the value in in knowing where you come from yeah yeah and I think it's really interesting like when I reflect on my own journey um, you know thinking about how people process their immediate ancestral um, you know stories and such and the only I, I've, learned, I've learned only a little bit about like grandmother and pretty much and that's pretty much all as far as we went and mm -hmm. it's interesting because like um even as far back as grandmother it's like we're not always sure when they were born because uh you know when she was born because uh you know documentation was not that right. great you know and all mm -hmm. this kind of thing so it's like it's right it just it just kind of livens in people like you know if they're called to, they should definitely do some some research and, and do some exploring because it's just another story that's very empowering. But at the mm -hmm. same time, I feel like it is a kind of a story because as you're saying in one of your questions, the idea that you've lived many lives and that mm. um, kind of reminds me of the idea that we chose this entry point into this incarnation and that we're like doing that because of these you know factors so mm -hmm. you know because of these different we kind of choose our incarnation in a way and it's kind yeah. of empowering what do you think about that or what do you think about yeah yeah that's, that's such a fascinating point and you know personally the jury's out on <laughs> yeah on whether or not i believe in that i think that yeah. there's so much power and accountability in uh believing that we chose this life to some extent yeah uh, and saying like, oh, well then I'm actually really responsible for every facet of my existence and every facet of like my history and all the histories that um, made me into being. And it's, and it's not just the bloodline histories, it's the past life histories as well, yeah. which I, I do believe in and I do feel and I have done healing around in my spiritual and healing journeys. Uh, and you know it's um it's it's a it's a really interesting braid because in well it's um it's a powerful braid you know because there's all of these threads there's the thread of your past lives there's the thread of this life of the the experiences the joys the traumas the struggles of this and the griefs of this life 
And then there's your ancestors and the and the healing that needs to be done with your bloodlines. And so it, I see it as a braid of like weaving these threads together and being like, well, oh, that I can actually understand myself even more when I know maybe how I died in a past life mm. or what uh, my fears were in a past life that really and maybe I carried over into this life. And, you know, the, the reason I really struggle with, like, really believing in uh, that we choose this life is that I don't want to believe that I chose a life where I'm a survivor of sexual assault. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't want to believe that that was like, my soul was like, we need to go through that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, to, to evolve or to be enlightened in some way. Mm. I, there's something that doesn't really mesh well with me uh, with that, with that particular like corner of that belief. Um, but then it's also, you know, the truth is I am a survivor. And mm. so how do I heal from that? And my healing journey from, from that has been liberatory. It's been empowering. It has lifted my spirit to be of service to other survivors, other women and queer people. Uh, not just being a survivor of sexual assault, but being first-generation American or being uh, raised in an orthodox religious family or, you know, like every facet of my existence uh, really informs how I serve. Yeah, I think that um, in my perspective, like the view we take or view in general, like a, a opinion or a view, it's more than just an opinion, it's more like a view, um, mm -hmm. but a view we take can be a tool. And it's not so much that you're saying that it's true, but you're using it in a way that kind of um, helps your mind mix with that view so that then you can empower yourself in specific instances. And when a view serves you, you can implement the view and be like, in this instance, I can, I can see the world this way. And then when it's not serving you properly, you can then take off that lens and put on a different lens and be like, all right, this lens is serving in respect to that particular aspect of my life. Perhaps I can put on a different lens and, you know, maybe in future we can see how the, the, the view looks or all this kind of thing. But, you know, I think definitely there's something very, I mean, I've also been struggling a lot with this empowerment idea of like whether or not, um, you know, choice and how much choice falls into it and how much, uh, and how much, you know, like, uh, even even a very basic level, like when we think about God and we think about mm. divine power, you know, over yeah. the course of my journey, it's like, you know, I've had some struggles with that, you know, uh, struggles with whether or not there is a God or whether or not there yes. is a divine power. Mm -hmm. And tell us a little bit of your journey and I'll share a little bit of my own uh, journey as well. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a, a specific uh, story comes to mind. When I was six years old, I saw this commercial on TV. I think it was for life insurance. And the song Tomorrow from Annie played in the background of this commercial. <laughs> and I, and I, it was, I think it was the first time that I heard this song and I was like, what are these feelings that this song <laughs> is creating in my heart? And I and I had to hear this song again. I had to. It was an obsession. 
And uh, so I grew up in a Jewish Orthodox family, and Friday nights, Shabbat comes in, and there's no use of electricity in my house. Um, and again, I was six years old. It was Friday night. We're at the Shabbat table eating dinner, and my heart is with Annie and the song. So I excuse myself from the table, and I go upstairs to the TV room, and I open the doors to the TV, we like closed the, the bureau where we kept the TV for Shabbat. I opened them and I had a moment with God. And I said, you know, in, my, in a childlike way, because already at that point, I, I was, um, the, the messaging was that like a bolt of lightning will strike me and I will burn and die. Like that was, like it was this fear, this intense fear of this Father God who would be angry with me for breaking his laws. So I had this moment where I was like, I am full aware, God, of what the consequences are <laughs> for, for turning on the TV. However, my passion for show tunes <laughs> <laughs> far supersedes like any of your laws. So I so I turned on the TV and I like winced. I like you know I was I like hid a little bit <laughs> and nothing happened. There wasn't even a shift in my emotional state. And my body was intact, my mind was intact and that was like the first real moment where I was like wait, hold up. <laughs> so who is God? Like what what's What's God then if not this great father who's going to smite me when I transgress? And and that's re that was like the beginning of like the real unraveling of orthodoxy for me and uh, this father God who sits on high, who wants to punish me, but who also loves me and that kind of like abusive <laughs> dynamic. Uh, that so many of us were raised with in religious households, uh, especially with a patriarch who upheld those those principles and those values, uh, and um, and then I started. At, and that was like the beginning of me asking late at night when I con when I thought about my mortality because I was a I was a deep kid. Um, I would always ask, "Who's God's mom? Like, if God is real and God exists." but God doesn't punish me, then, like, who's God's mom? Like, who created God? Yeah. It's really interesting, uh, especially going up with this uh, pantheon and Hindu mythology. You know, I grew up a lot with uh, what they call Amarchitakathas, which would tell the stories of, like, all these different deities and their different, like, relationships and the way in mm. which they evolved. Um, and it's interesting to think about the personification and how... Um, kind of this force or this energy. Um, although ne then, then since then, like as a child, I grew up with that, and also I grew up with, um, you know, kind of the idea that. Well, actually, as I as I got older, we grew up the idea that of more matured Vedantic philosophy, the idea that God is like uh, the ultimate reality, Brahman is like reality, mm -hmm. or like the underlying principles of reality. So that kind of got introduced me later on in my development, mm -hmm. and then. Um, you know, kind of thinking about how the relationship between us and this divine energy, but it shouldn't be 
postulate his divine energy, he should have like a personality. He should have some kind of endowment, endowed mm-hmm. with like a personhood. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's like it doesn't resonate as well. Would you say, or it doesn't mm-hmm. seem it doesn't seem to resound as strongly in in people or in myself or many many people. Would I say? Yeah. When it's yeah. energy, yeah. Right. There is that word that I grew up with, anthropomorphism, where we create these human characteristics of God because God is everything and nothing, or the divine is everything and nothing. It's the air we, God is the air we breathe. It is our bodies that house our spirits and our souls. It's the earth that grows life. And uh, I, I think that it's almost like it's a more sophisticated view of God, but it's also a very childlike way of experiencing the divine. When you're a child, there is this freedom in, and this, it's a, it's sort of like a natural embodiment of interconnection with all of nature. And you're, you're one with the butterfly. You're informed, you're, the butterfly is your teacher or the trees are your teachers and you're interacting with your environment in this very uh, alive way because the imagination is so alive. Uh, and so, um, so it's like with the, as we grow older and our imaginations are sort of oppressed by so many forces, by capitalism, by white supremacy, by, um, religion and we we have all these stories that sort of like oppress and suppress our own imaginations and our own ways of experiencing the divine and you know the questions i asked when i was a child were very innocent but they were also very profound and i didn't come back around to really um to like fully embodying those questions of like who is god's mom Mm. Um, until my late 20s when I began, when I like rerouted, I was rerouted in life towards a priestess path and uh, started engaging with, worshiping, devoting my life and my prayers to the feminine aspects of the divine, to Shekhinah, as we um, say in the Jewish mystical traditions, this the feminine principle of the, the dwelling place, of seeing all of earth and all of the cosmos, really, and all of our bodies as the dwelling place of the divine. Uh, and so that to me that resonates so much more with me because then Shekhinah can be whatever you praise her to be. Mm. It's not um, it's it's not prescriptive. It's so much more poetic and that becomes your language of your prayers is uh, like praise you Shekhinah for being the air that I breathe. Praise you Shekhinah for being this this relationship between me and VJ right now. Mm. Uh, praise you Shekhinah for this technology, the Zoom technology that that we get to um, have this conversation and that we met through this technology as well. So, you know, like I don't hear God being described as technology ever, but um, th- that's sort of how my mind is, and heart has been open to engaging with the divine. Yeah, I also had the opportunity to study briefly in a Korean um, temple, 
and mm. they are the they're giving some con practice they're dismantling some con practice they're talking a little bit on con practice and uh you know i asked a question about that and he was like the teacher was like um said um you know sometimes when we're studying very intently or when we were in life we're meditating and we're in life we kind of see the face of the buddha we see the face you know we see we see embodiment of the face rather as mm. opposed to just that feeling we feel the face uh of this of this energy and mm. you know keep an eye out for it kind of a thing and i think it's like that is, when we see faces sometimes we can see them as being triggered as the buddha energy as as you're mm -hmm. saying just in line with what you're saying that you know when we see the faces of others when we see the faces of you know anyone we're meeting that's the face of the buddha i think mm. you know yeah yes yes and that the the divine has so many faces yeah. there's so many aspects there's infinite aspects mm. like in i was raised uh in my orthodox education we learned that there were like 70 names for god in the bible alone but then in the mystical traditions there's so many more and before we got on this call, we were talking about the limitations of language, yeah. right? To really encapsulate and hold the spirit of something that's so big and that doesn't have a limit, really. Uh, so we, we are limited in language, uh, but then there's so many other ways of communicating through dance, through music, through theater, through performance. Yeah. And also it's we're infinite. talking specifically about saving like a lot of times we think about the Lord mm. is saving us and about, and I have the, actually the Bodhisattva vows put on my forearm. Oh, which really? starts off, yeah, it starts off with the bicep rather, which starts off with all living beings. Living beings are numberless. I vow to save them all. You know, Confucians are inexhaustible. I vow to cut them off. The Armageddon are boundless. I vow to enter them and the Buddha way is unattainable. I vow to, uh, mm. attain it. And it's interesting because it's like the subversion of the idea. Now, in the past few years, I've been like subverting the idea of saving the um, and what that means and how we can play with that idea uh, that people are already saved in a sense that mm. we should view them as being perfect. We should view them as being, you know, we shouldn't be like critical of others or we shouldn't be like going out there trying to correct people and thinking we're better and all right. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it reminds me when, uh, so I'm, I'm a professionally trained actress. I, I studied in New York City, actually, with my teacher, Terry Knickerbocker. And uh, after I would go up and perform, sometimes he would say, uh, how can I help you? <laughs> because I, at that point, I was in my early 20s, and, and I actually didn't really know how to ask for help. And I didn't know how to collaborate in, in equal measure with a person who I saw as, as kind of a godlike figure, mm. uh, my, my teacher. And so he, I think it was his way of, of sort of empowering me to look within and be like, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I wasn't quite sure what to choose for this this line of text or I had trouble with, with this part of the the scene or something like that, uh, he would say, how, how can I help you? And I would get so triggered by that question because I was like, I don't need help. Like, uh. you know, there was, there, I had so much training in my life to, to be independent, to not ask for help and that there is something shameful in asking for help. And, and now, you know, in my prayers, I petition God or the divine Shekhinah. I petition them for help, 
because it, it actually helps to humble me. Mm. Uh, and and there is it's so dynamic and multifaceted because who are we also to enter into a space and say I'm here to help? You know, yeah. I'm here to or I'm here to save you. Oh, it's yeah. a, like like I I've read stories of like post-Civil War in the South, uh, post-Civil War, a lot of white women would go down to the South to educate the, the freed black people in the South. And there was this notion of the white savior that really formed. And also, I mean, you know, like the colonialist histories and genocidal histories of the U.S., like the, the white man coming in to sort of save the indigenous peoples from their savage ways in some mm. ways. Um, and there was this like sort of benevolence to imperialism that's like embedded in the narrative of, of imperialism mm. that um, takes on the, the cloak of the God of the Bible as a savior. And like, we're here with our Bibles, we're here with our God to save you lowly people. And it sort of creates this hierarchy. So I think, you know, I think I'm like naming two different things, two different strands of like, there is the perversion aspect of like, the divine being a, a saving grace in our lives and that being true and that being a, a real path of evolution to petition God for help and to ask for a savior or, you know, to ask for support mm. in, in whatever you do. Um, but then there is the sort of embodiment, the problematic embodiment of that, the way that that God is characterized where, white people and white culture have taken that to an oppressive extreme. Yeah. Yeah. I think and also, um, I just want to pick up one quick thread before we get to that, um, about improv and how, you know, like how in improv, as opposed to scripted drama, it's like the, your cohorts are like your co-actors, your co, your community is like giving you gifts about yourself. And that's like an interesting way into it. So I think in life we can use that endowments and gifts and thinking about how, um, you know, when we ask, when we ask people what's their input or what's their, um, what's their perspective, it's not necessarily like we're, we're, we're giving up power to them. It's rather we're, we're enabling them to give us a gift, you know, or like a, a mm. give, give back. And it's like, it's interesting to think about in those terms because it's like, you know, we're kind of like empowering them to, to feel uh, needed to feel part of the community, feel part of, you know, it's like putting a positive value spin on things mm -hmm. always helps. And then um, in regards to kind of how the different people in our lineage, like there's so many ways in which we're like members of the oppressor and the oppressed and how those two, two different things coexist in like a symbiotic relationship and mm -hmm. how they exist within us as well and mm -hmm. how we can kind of choose to you know empower people who are you know just as we say you know that bless the weak and bless the uh the um disenfranchised so that then they may also you know be part of the conversation we'll be able to tap into their great gifts and not 
mm. you know, isolate them in a way. Mm-hmm. So I think right. it's important. Yeah. Yeah, there's, um, I recently heard the turn of phrase scholars of poverty Mm. to, you know, that we, if you come from, um, a, a working class background or a poor background, um, you're a scholar in, in understanding the mechanisms and the communities and the dynamics of, of poverty. And you have a very important, and, you know, in, with um, economic justice, people who come from working class and poor backgrounds should be at the center of that movement, you know, yeah. because because they are scholars, because they do have the wisdom of um, how this white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchy, patriarchal systems affect them as, as the oppressed. Mm. And also you have this great quote from... Uh advocate of uh indigenous peoples uh if you have come here to help me you're wasting your time but if you come here because your liberation is bound up with mine then let's work together and we could take a moment to kind of uh Mm. dismantle that or think that apart in this context how you know um and tell us a little bit more about this quote do you know much more about um where it comes from and where what its origins are or anything or yeah, it's um, you know, her name. Do, do I have the name? Yeah, it says Lilla Watson. Yeah, Lilla Watson. Yeah. She is a uh, an indigenous artist in Australia, uh, and that's a quote that has been floating around in the social justice scenes and communities that I've been a part of as um, as a reminder of of dismantling these hierarchies that we function within and don't necessarily see unless they are made visible for us externally and internally. Like you said, there's the ways we internalize this oppression Mm. uh, that are unknown to us and that in ways we contribute to the reification of these oppressive systems. Yeah, yeah, perpetuating systems that we may ourselves be impoverished by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so my, the ways that I've plugged into um, the movement for Black liberation is, um, you know, I, I'm very aware as a white-skinned person of my privileges, and uh, and also that the the healing work is my responsibility too it's not just to be of service to black people and people of color um and in their liberation it's that that their liberation is my liberation too Mm. i am dehumanized by white supremacy as well and and i learned that so pointedly actually in therapy with a black therapist Mm. uh because i i bring in I bring in current events to my therapy sessions and um, you know, I won't tell the whole story of, of how this unfolded, but um, I learned through therapy and in particular with this, with um, my former therapist, Samantha, that um, there is a part of me as a white skinned person and in the ways that I have been, uh, impacted not just by white supremacy but also zionism Mm. uh that i my body feels threatened on some level by black liberation 
and that's you know that's embarrassing to admit and it's it's uh it's it's shameful also but that's also the truth and that i can't and to have that be conscious in my mind and in my body liberates me to be where i am and to also be authentic with where i am and so that i can i can really be alert to how my body responds to the movement to uh, for black liberation and ultimately i want to be a safe ally um and to be of service to folks at the center of of the movement but i also need to know how i'm impacted by it all and what my own limitations are too mm -hmm. yeah how things show up in the body is important and how things uh how we kind of relate to in the grounded level and like in the different we think about the different chakras and think about the grounded level mm. and not getting too like heady and intellectual you know about like oh what i should be doing or what i could be doing but rather mm -hmm. really grounded in the root chakra and like thinking about how trauma and 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 uh collective trauma and how all this kind of affects us in a root, mm -hmm. rooted way and grounded way i think it's very right. good to call attention to that and think about it in terms of you know like it's easy to um you know, kind of like perpetuate, as you were saying about perpetuating narratives and perpetuating, you know, kind of disinformation and, and all this kind of things and, and how it shows up in the body is important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, it relates to also knowing where you come from, Yeah. that if I don't know where I come from and I, <laughs> and if I'm not rooted in, my lineages and the lands that my ancestors came from and the lands on which I dwell and mm. occupy. Um, yeah. Then, yeah. then I'm, you know, I'm at whim. Like, you know, I, I it's like, I see, I, I like the vision is like this untethered sort of balloon mm. that is floating around and doesn't have, for me, it's like, I don't, know who i am if i don't if i'm not rooted in my body if i'm not rooted in the the safety of my ancestors having my back and knowing where i come from and it helps me to not appropriate other cultures yeah. uh, it helps me to be fed by uh and nourished by the traditions and the heritages that i come from yeah and it seems like what you're saying now is like processing this this uh way in which we think and processing all these like kind of darker aspects of our psyche is part mm -hmm. of what you're talking about a little bit in the interview questions and previously i've heard you talk about light supremacy mm -hmm. and how this domination of like oh everything's fine everything's good everything's all yeah. right, right. And like not acknowledging that well there's real work to be done yeah and you talk a bit about that light supremacy aspect and and how that what that means for you mm-hmm yeah, this, so this is actually a, a new concept that I've been working with, uh, especially this past winter season and this past holiday season, like Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. There's a lot of, um, there's the, so much of the conversation around the holidays is being the light, being, being light and bringing light into a dark world. And, <clears throat> and so, my the communities the spiritual communities that i'm a part of you know i'm very lucky and blessed to be a part of uh earth-based 
spiritual communities uh, that are also rooted in Judaism uh, and informed by the, the traditions of many Judaisms across the world. Uh, and sort of interrogating this notion of like light and love and in the new agey communities, um, like wishing people light and love and, uh, and sort of being critical of, of like, well, what do we actually mean by that? Like, are we devaluing the darkness then? Because there is so much richness in the darkness. There's yeah. so much um, mystery also to discover. There's, it's like the dark is like the fertile ground that we plant seeds in. Seeds can't grow. We don't grow without the darkness, without going into the mystery and dreaming and like illuminating something. We need the darkness for the illumination in the origin story uh, in the Bible, like the, the origin, the creation story in the Bible, um, the world was dark. Existence was blackness before there was a spark of creation. But that's what exists. It is this like fertile ground for things to become illuminated and there's this concept in Judaism with the Torah that um, on the parchment, the, the, the words are written in black ink, and that's described as black fire. And the white space or the parchment space around the black fire is the white fire. And the two interacting are the Torah. Mm. that's the teaching is this interaction and the balancing the harmonizing of the white fire and the black fire and also that mirror to ourselves you know you you um you mentioned like all the faces of god this is a face of god of reflecting back to us that we are light and dark and that there is equal value to, to all these aspects of our existences. There's equal value of our anger, which we call a dark emotion, or our shame, or grief, uh, then to our joy, and our fulfillment, and our, um, again, our happiness. And my acting teacher, he would say, you know, to the extent that you can go to the depths, that you can go to the grief, the pain, that you can tap into that, that's the same of equal measure to the extent that you can go to the heights of joy. Mm. So we expand our capacity when we dismantle this supremacy of, of lightness or of whiteness uh, in our minds and in our bodies, and we become more whole, ultimately. We liberate our minds and our bodies from these limiting notions of what it means to be human, what it means to be connected, what it means to be part of the divine web of life. And it's, it becomes more expansive to me when, you know, like, yeah, like my wish and prayer for you is that you engage with the darkness and understand and learn and grow there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I think we need to 
create a vessel in which we can contain and kind of process as mm-hmm. we start to, as we go through life we're kind of you know it's easy to say this should be a filter we're filtering out the darkness but there's a lot of information there a lot of richness there as you're saying yes, yes. and then if we accept a little bit more of that kind of like you know of course there's certain things we need to process we need to filter out we need to refine we need to work on uh, a little bit of that fermentation a little bit of that seeding process mm-hmm. and sometimes things that are perceived as negative as can be fertilizer can be that mm. manure can be that way in which we kind of grow and i think exploring that uh crop uh, the the um planting or gardening metaphor or the crop of realizations that we're having uh from the kind of in the earth work that mm. needs to be done you know and mm-hmm. exploring that can be helpful it can be very helpful to think about yeah. those terms because even in terms yeah. of like planting seeds and waiting and just being patient and just being patient for things to happen uh, yes. is important as well yeah, right so different aspects yeah mm-hmm. and i've heard from uh, musicians that it's actually so much more fun to improvise with the quote darker notes oh yeah uh, on the in the spectrum and that there's so much more depth and playful energy oh there's like a, there's a light there yeah a little light coming through <laughs> um I'm curious i think that you know i had the privilege of seeing the sunrise this morning yeah so, um, let me just there we go um yes yes yes, yes seeing to the all light of come, this. yeah seeing the light come through and seeing the and understanding that like when we relate with people we don't need to put pressure on them to be like everything's Everything's fine, right? Everything's great, right? We, you know, there's no need yeah. for that kind of, you know, we can we can be comfortable just being honest and being real and being, yeah. you know, like kind of a thing. And we can perpetuate that, normalize that as opposed to just, you know, uh, mm-hmm. telling people the same old shit different day kind of a thing. Yeah. And not getting into the ground of, you know, like, you know. I didn't even know it was okay to say that I'm not doing okay yeah. until my early 20s. Yeah. You know, like, I thought, and it's a combination of, like, so many things, obviously, yeah. like, the family and the community that I come from, the larger culture that we all swim in and engage with and co-create, that, like, we we do um, value, like, being good and being okay more yeah. than, like, not being okay because then how do we hold that there's no mechanisms in our society to teach us how to hold or make space for people who are not doing okay who are having a rough day Uh, who you know to like it's like maintaining the lack of empathy in our culture by by forefronting light and love and doing this like spiritual bypassing Uh, or exalting the spiritual bypassing of um like i'm okay how are you or like i'm doing good you know like there's something so inauthentic or disingenuous about that like when we touched base this morning you were like you know i'm a little tired and uh but uh, you know i'm i'm doing all right and i'm you know it's like it was so real (laughs) it was so real to like to just say to be honest and it's not just real, it's liberating yeah. uh, to to be where you are. And to take it a step further, it's also, it creates authenticity and creates safety being in the movements for black liberation, for indigenous sovereignty, uh, if you are not of those communities. Mm. When you show up 
authentically and and I've learned this through making a lot of mistakes is that when um, because I don't want to make mistakes as a as a white person yeah. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings I don't want to say the wrong thing um, but I learned and I've and I've had a lot of patient teachers and mentors and friends in my life who have really illustrated to me uh, that it serves the movement for me as a white person to be as authentic as possible because if I show up wanting to help or be a, an ally and I'm not doing this work, mm -hmm. then I can create a lot more harm um, than good. And um, I've also learned that in black communities and in communities of color, you know, trust is a big is a big issue. And if I want to be a trustworthy ally, then I need to be real. Mm. That's just the baseline ex expectation. Thank you, thank you. So this is the Truth to Power Show and Ready for Brooklyn. Uh, we're here with Simha Toledano. We're talking a little bit about kind of healing and, and dismantling some of the aspects of uh, the the light and, and the supremacy of the light and how, you know, we can kind of look at or view uh, more precisely. And at the same time, at the same time as you were saying, I was just saying a little bit, we don't want to get focused too much on the... Um, critical aspects we want to get focused on the intention and like what's the intention behind you know mm. language what's the intention behind what we're saying what we're communicating and all this kind of thing and we want to kind of get to the point where we're doing the work and then it becomes internalized and then everything just flows from that source so that mm. we're not like too like self-critical like oh I, I didn't use the right word there we want to get generally into the source so that we really do that work so that then everything will naturally flow from there, mm. you know, from that source, uh, the thought action, if you will, you know, and really get to that internal action. So that then for me, at least meditation does that a little bit or meditative paths or contemplative paths, kind of really analyzing that thought action, that thought, that that little germination of what what is going on and, and taking on different views as is needed to... Um, you know, views that serve us rather than views that uh, we just feel compelled to take because, uh, you know, prevalent thoughts, prevalent, society, prevalent uh, winds of society force mm -hmm. us to do that, you know. Mm -hmm. So yeah. in what ways we're dismantling kind of prevalent views and how we're kind of introducing, you know, reintroducing really because we're not really the originator of these views, but right. we're kind of reintroducing or being a witness to or bearing witness to our truth through these views. Um, and there was another quote that was really interesting. You used Daniel Quinn. I'll mm -hmm. read it. Um, the world doesn't belong to us. We belong to it. Always have, always will. We belong to the world. We belong to community of life on this planet. It doesn't belong to us. We got confused about that. And now it's time to set the record straight. So uh, tell us a little bit about what this quote means to you. And then we can kind of volley about uh, kind of like, it also resonates with, me, resonates with me in the sense of like man is an animal or man is part of the animal kingdom, you know, kind of a thing. And yeah, yes. yeah what do you think? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I like what you said about um, 
remembering remembering these um, ancient ways of being mm. and interacting and engaging with our our worlds and our environments mm. and this quote really is that reminder to me it, it came to me when I was traveling I was backpacking across Europe I was in my early 20s I had just moved out of New Orleans and I was in between cities I was about to move to New York didn't have a real plan for that but I was traveling and I was reading Ishmael by Daniel Quinn and um, this quote hit me it just like it was a gut punch to me because it sparked the remembering of who I am in a lot of ways and what we're doing here <laughs> that the in Western society the messaging that I got and that we receive is that the world belongs to us the world is our oyster you know we can do with the world whatever we want and um, we've seen the extreme versions of that with late-stage capitalism uh, sort of ravaging the earth and saying well the earth belongs to us you know we can do with it whatever we will mm. and it was a real flip in perspective for me to it, it was like I saw myself outside as an outsider, but then with that perspective, I saw myself as an insider. I'm part of this great web of life. I belong to the world, the same source that feeds and nourishes the trees is the source that feeds and nourishes me, that whispers grow to me as well, mm. that supports me in my growth supports you and your growth, supports the tulips on my table in growing. And that when I, you know, when I feel into belonging to the world, I like the image of, um, it's not an original image, but the image of people of all faiths and colors and backgrounds gathering around a mountain and hugging the mountain together that we're all part of this web of life and there it's part of this uh like systematic it's part of a systematic uh erasure of that memory that we belong to the earth that maintains these oppressive hierarchies mm. um that we you know we're scrambling to survive in where the truth is that we have everything we need the law of abundance is functioning mm. uh and when i plug into belonging to the world then i can lean back there's almost a sense of relief for me and being like oh well, then i'm supported mm. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's really good to like think about the law of abundance and think about coming from a place not of poverty, but of, you know, of uh, abundance, as you're saying, and like thinking, focusing on that, feeling gratitude, feeling really uh, connected 
and all these positive emotions. But at the same time, when we're not feeling it authentically, we shouldn't force it. I think that's the main thing I'm getting from this conversation, <laughs> that we should organically plant the seeds and be patient and just be like, right. and not be like, oh, I am feeling that way, even if you're, if you're generally not. And, mm-hmm. and I think, and, and when you start to address that and start to realize that I want to feel that way, I want to feel gratitude. I want to feel connected. I want to feel, you know, um, really in touch with my emotions. And you feel that, that gap between where you want to be and where you are. Yes. And just really planting those seeds and being patient with that process and right. cultivating the, the right view and the right action and the right. Um, and it'll happen, I think. Yeah. Right. Like, it's like confident. you what you were saying about planting seeds of intention yeah, and, yeah. and watering them, mm. maybe with prayer or with some practices like meditation mm. or going on walks or what have you. Um, and then being patient. And a lot of people, and I know for me, the, you know, grief starts to come up to be healed when we set these very powerful intentions to... Um, see ourselves and to feel ourselves as part of the part of God, essentially Mm. part of the divine, you know, Marianne Williamson is a, she's a big influence in my life. Uh, She's a spiritual teacher and teaches on the uh, course in miracles and the, the teachings in the course in miracles. And she says that in the course in miracles, uh, it, the teaching is that all of your problems can really be distilled to one problem. And that problem is the belief that you are separate from God. Mm. And, and you know, intellectually, I understand that. Spiritually, emotionally, like you said, there's a space, like, you know, I'm not there yet. Mm. <laughs> I'm not there yet to like fully embodying this um, belonging that you know in that daniel quinn quote um i you know i'm still working on it but i'm Mm. allowing that intention to work on me too that Mm. there is a a receptivity uh to to setting great intentions and when the and when the grief comes up a lot of people are like oh wait this like mystical journey is like not for me there's too much pain Mm. but that is the gold that's actually the information like you were saying the information that bubbles up for observation for integration for um for reverence you know because this is a part of us that um that wants to be seen and that wants to be heard and that wants to be integrated into our wholeness and, you know, trauma has a fragmenting effect in our minds and our psyches and our bodies. Um, and when the grief comes up to be healed, uh, it's really a sign that we're growing and mm. evolving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's good to, like, think about how these evolving processes, I mean, a lot of people are fixated on results, you know, because whether or not these processes or how is it, you know, like, not so much how is it benefiting me, but like how how can I quantify or how can I, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a thing. And uh, I think we will see when we mix our mind with the intention, we'll see results in some level because we're looking for them. We're really finding that external validation, that kind of validation of like um, the joy and the and the and the uh, progress that we're making. 
in our own journey. I think those things will come and I and have come and mm-hmm. uh, we'll be able to really appreciate them when they do come. So that's the main thing is that a lot of times like people will have those results, but they won't really, you know, appreciate them as being connected to that at source. And then they don't repeat because it's like mm-hmm. you're not you're not really grounded in that that connection and yeah. like making that connection. We then and as you're saying, keeping that con with us, keeping that that impossible lesson with us, they'll then work on us so that then it'll you know, we'll be able to be in line with it. But uh, as we start to wrap up, I just want to quickly say this is Radio Free Brooklyn, Truth to Power Show. We air every Monday at 8 a.m. Uh, we're here with Simo Toledano. Um, and also a uh, couple quick announcements. So now City Running Tours is one of our sponsors. So they do um, running tours. Also, you can check their Instagram. where They're doing like one hour um, tours of different cities. I believe you can go to cityrunningtours.com slash New York City to find out more about their New York City running tours. I'm sure they have it at different cities, so you can look them up, uh, cityrunningtours.com slash maybe Philadelphia or something like that. I don't know, whatever whatever, whatever comes up. Uh, but look, check out their website and their Instagram. Um, also, this is Radio Fear Brooklyn, so we're, we're a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We're here to promote the community, to build up voices. So if you liked if you like this show, um, the practice of giving is always welcome. So you can uh, donate um, at readyforbrooklyn.org/donate. Make a one-time donation, a monthly pledge uh, to help us out to help maintain this nonprofit. Uh, we you know we re- mainly rely on donations from listeners like you. Um, yeah, yeah. So as we start to wind down, uh, just reflecting on this year, this past year, and how we've entered a new year. And, you know, a lot of people are quick to be like, oh, everything's going to change. And then, you know, we had the first few days of the new year not reflecting that kind of promise. But then, uh, you know, we can always get, keep the intention with us that we'll, we'll, as society, pull back and we'll be able to see where we're going and keep that intention with us and keep that mm-hmm. the, those good feelings of the new year, of the new uh, leaf and all that. So any mm-hmm. reflections on the new year, any... Uh, any last thoughts? Oh, where can we follow you, actually? Where, where can we also where can we follow you? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm on Facebook. Yeah. Simca Toledano. And I'm on Instagram as well. Found Earring Project is my handle. I find jewelry in the world, and I take pictures of it. <laughs> like, you know, people who wear earrings lose earrings often, and I find them on the sidewalk. Uh, it's just like a weird thing that I yeah. notice. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and it's always like a, yeah, just a reminder that there's, you know, nothing's ever really lost. Yeah. Thanks so, so much I, for I think, being here. Okay, we're about to end. So thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, BJ. Thank you. All right. Take care. Take care.